Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for knowing what we are looking for. Forgive us for finding our meaning, our peace, our hope in anything but you. In your name, Jesus, amen. There were just, I was reading so many good passages of scripture this week that I just had to share them all. You ever feel like that sometimes? Well, yeah. Oh, that, that was good. Then that was good. And they all kind of just worked together in my brain. Uh, and I was most humbled. Uh, you know, Hebrews was written to God's people. It quoted about the Israelites. But it wasn't just about the Israelites not entering God's rest. It was, about, it was written to Christians, to Hebrew Christians. And it was a warning, you know, that the author, or authors, we don't know, whoever, were, did not want these Hebrew Christians to not enter God's rest because of unbelief. And so in verse 315, the epistle says, If you hear his voice, Today, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. And uh, that just really struck me, especially when you, especially when you think about uh, the passage in Mark that was read today with the rich young ruler. Uh, in this gospel passage, this rich young ruler runs to Jesus to seek because he wants eternal life. He wants real life. He, he knows what he wants. And uh, that reading really impresses upon me the need to have a posture of responsiveness to God's call, to the voice of our Lord Jesus. I mean, how many of us are giving away everything we have to have treasures in heaven? I'm not. But... I'm not going to lie to you and try to do exegetical or theological gymnastics to tell you that somehow this verse doesn't apply to us and then talk about how, you know, there's nothing wrong with money, there's just wrong with money, or there's nothing wrong with having money, there's just something wrong with money having you. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to say, I don't do it because I'm sinful and disobedient. I'm not good. Jesus made it very clear in that passage. Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God alone. That's the whole point of Scripture, not just this passage. Yeah, why don't I give everything I own to uh, the poor to have righteousness in heaven? Because I'm not good. Only God is good. I stand condemned before God from the whole Bible, the whole text of Scripture, not just that passage. Uh, and it's... Unfortunately, this rich young ruler like us is not ready to receive Jesus' call to forsake all trust in earthly possessions and gain and follow him. The love of this world has impeded his path to following Jesus. But I don't think he's alone. I can think of many times where I felt just like the rich young ruler in this passage and my love for this world in one way or another has impeded me from following Jesus. And I don't think I'm alone. That's kind of the whole point of Scripture. There's no one good but God alone. And Amos, in the book of Amos, in today's Old Testament passage that our sermon is about, 
Uh, Amos writes to a nation in which there are many, many, many rich young rulers enjoying abundant uh, material prosperity. And they have and they worked hard for it. They earned it. They deserved it. The economy of uh, Israel had been booming for the last 100 years, almost like Singapore or Taiwan or America today since uh, the Great Depression. And a lot of hardworking, good Christian or good Israelites had uh, thrived. But they had also come to trust in that prosperity for their ultimate good, for their ultimate security, apart from the call to trust in God alone. And more importantly, or almost just as importantly, to love their neighbor as themselves. And the scriptures we read today, they have much to say to us as people who claim to follow Jesus, who as a rule, we enjoy a great deal of material abundance in 21st century America. I mean, I, I mean, maybe these numbers have gone down in the last 20 years, but in the year 2000 when I was in high school, I mean, I know, I know China and India are coming up and getting a piece of the pie nowadays, much to the detriment of our economy and our American way of life. But when I was in high school and college in the year, around the year 2000 or the late 90s, uh, Americans were 4% of the population and we consumed 25% of the Earth's resources. And, uh, you know, that says a lot. Uh, and it's easy when we're consuming so much resources to allow a desire for earthly comfort and earthly security to harden our hearts against God's call for our neighbor's well-being. It's very hard to find our greatest source of life and security in knowing and being known by Jesus Christ. I mean, for his sake, are we willing to employ all we are and all we have for his glory and for the benefit of others? I don't know. And when I ask myself, when I put myself in the rich young man's shoes and I ask myself, what would, you know, I, all of us are the rich young man in a sense. Like that scripture, like Jesus is talking to all of us, you know, as impractical as it is. And that's the whole point. Who feels set up by that passage when I say it applies to you too? Who feels entrapped? Dare we say entrapped? I do too. This whole book is a trap. Okay, I'm warning you. It's a trap, it's a pit with a live wolf inside called the law of a righteous, holy, loving God, <laughs> okay? And we try to tame that wolf and gain control of it and make it, our, make it serve us somehow. I mean, who's ever felt convicted by the law of God and then quickly tried to sick it on someone else? Ooh, you know, I mean, like, I, I mean, Martin Luther uh, once said that, uh, you can't, uh, you can't keep the, he was talking about, you know, uh, Martin Luther, like, like on the streets, you know, maybe you, if you, who's ever walked by the mall in Victoria's Secret and went, I need to turn my eyes over, or so I walk, walked by them, who's ever walked in the mall by the Victoria's Secret and went, I need to turn my eyes this way. Any men ever done that before, back when we used to go to the mall? Okay, who's ever been a little bit more slow with your eyes than you should have? I know. <laughs> He's like, me, every day, I always take my wife to the mall. Yeah, no, it's okay. No one goes to the mall anymore. We don't have that problem. Uh, yeah, uh, well, you know, we know, oh, see, that's the law getting us. There's no one righteous, not a one. I mean, look, in the first beginning of this book, 
Adam and Eve got trapped by eating fruit from a talking snake. That was a setup. I mean, why did God do that? That was a trap. This whole book is a trap. It's a trap for human beings who don't think they're the problem, who think evil is on the outside. If I could just fix all the evil out there with those people or with those things or those societal problems, then, then, then I'd have peace. Then I'd find what I am looking for. Then I'd have hope, joy, peace, love, and all that. You know? So that's how we treat the law. That's what we do. The law scares us and threatens us, and when we feel entrapped, it's so tempting. You know, when you're, after you walk through the mall and you pass the wrong store to go, oh gosh, I feel convicted. I better get on Facebook and fire off like an anti-abortion post or hit a like button on someone else's, you know? Got to tame that law. I got to sick that law dog on somebody else. <laughs> That's the Christian thing to do. Uh, yeah, no. All the sad, see, you're laughing because all too often it is for ourselves or others. We see people do it, we do it ourselves. And that's scary. And why do Christians behave badly like that? Who's ever seen a Christian behave badly like that on Facebook? <laughs> Hands are like, who's ever been that Christian behaving badly on Facebook? Yeah. And we all have our pet moral uh, high horses to get on. It's great, I know. It breaking your arm, yeah. And uh, I thought your wife was squeezing it, so don't shoot it up too fast. He'll know. He already knows. God knows too. Uh, but why do we behave like this? Because we are entrapped by the holy, righteous teaching of a God who demands not that we be perfect. That's kind of petty. Always, people always want to preach. God demands that you be perfect or he's going to shake you over hell on a stick just so you need to believe in his son Jesus and be grateful for him shaking you over hell on a stick. No, that's not what's going on. What's going on is that he is a 100% loving God who loves you and everybody else so much that he knows that if you unlove somebody, it's not about being imperfect, it's about being unloving. And if you unlove someone once, you have done violence to yourself. Okay, Martin Buber, the great Jewish uh, philosopher and theologian said, when you start treating other people as it's, you don't destroy their humanity. You destroy your own. That's what's going on. But why do we do this? It's because we don't know what we're looking for. What is it you seek? Didn't Jesus ask us what we seek sometimes? What do you seek? What do you seek? I mean... Sometimes Jesus asks me that in my head. I mean, maybe he's really asking it. Maybe I'm just talking to myself. But I imagine Jesus challenging me with, what do you seek? Some days I'm looking for happiness. Some days I'm looking for excitement. Some days I'm looking for love. Some days I'm looking for a place to belong. Some days I'm looking for purpose. Some days I'm just looking for a good time. Some days I want an escape. And some days I just want to feel good for five minutes. I mean, really, how many Christians have felt really good for five minutes without, like, sinning? I envy you. All right. One way or another, we're looking for something that makes us come alive. And yet, experience proved that none of these avenues of life, of these avenues to life, these broken wells we dig to ourselves, they don't come through for very long. They don't last for very long. No matter what you think the top is, the pinnacle on the top is. I mean, I have a really good friend of mine, self-made man. 
work. He's making easy, making six, probably seven figures now. Has the beautiful girlfriend, has the house, has the medical card. His life is great, and he's still miserable. And he has everything you could possibly think you want. And the sad reality is, again, it's a trap. The God that made this Bible also made the world, and it's a trap because none of these things, none of these broken wells that we go try to dig in to find water, to find our source of life, you can't find life in any of those things. And God's people during the time of Amos, oh, they're just like us. They knew a thing or two about seeking sources of life apart from God. Because Amos is writing at a time of relative political stability in the north and southern southern kingdoms and unprecedented economic prosperity. His his message is addressed to the northern northern kingdom. Think the wonder years. Well, if you were white, think the wonder years. Uh, (laughs) There is? Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I need to go watch that. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, think the 80s then. Think Cosby America. If you're black, think the Cosby 80s, okay? Think a different world. Howard University, historically black universities. Uh, you know, and it's kind of like that economic thing on the upswing, on the upswing. And however, this economic prosperity and this political and mayor and uh, military and national stability was masking a severe problem. The people of Israel and Judah were, had adopted all these other false broken wells. They'd, they'd, they'd come to rely as their ultimate source of security and safety in life, their prosperity and their pleasure and their comfort and their convenience. And they'd, become, they'd begun worshiping their own appetites. And ultimately what happened to these people who adopted the worship of their of their appetites, they, they kind of went to start worshiping the most, I guess the oldest God of all and the newest, the God of self. You know, I mean, I, I don't worship Thor, but who's ever struggled with the God of self? Me, 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 me. Yeah, we don't bow down to idols. We just bow down to our own ego and our own need for dopamine, serotonin, and whatever else endorphins make your brain happy. Uh, and uh, it, it was destroying them. In the service of their own appetites, the, these people, these rich and well-connected, and by that I just mean like rich in the Bible sense is like middle class, basically. <laughs> the rich and well-connected people of Amos, and I mean upper middle class, the, the, the middle class you be, that you see and want to be on TV, however realistic that is. But these upper middle class, but these upper middle class and well-connected people of Amos' day were building beautiful homes and planting luxurious vineyards. I mean, seriously, the Home Depots back then were just bang. You know, they were just, Home Depot stock was skyrocketing in ancient Israel. Unfortunately, they funded their efforts by just, well, it was just the system of this world. You, you would look at it and go, oh, it's not that bad, you know. So there's a bunch of Hispanics working under the table, standing outside the Home Depot in the morning. You know, it's not, that's just how the world works, you know. You know, uh, they weren't getting health insurance or anything, but what are you going to do? That's just how things happen in a booming economy. Uh, 
But they were doing more than that. They, had, they were also funding their uh, prosperous economic prosperity by a system that also oppressed and defrauded the common people, the daily laborers, the daily farmers. They were charging the farmers unfair taxes on their grain harvests. Who feels unfairly taxed? Who knows somebody's getting rich off that? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's the worst part of the Bible. No matter how much we know the Bible's pointed at us and is a trap, we're also victims. We sin against others and we sin. We unlove others and we get unloved. We use others and we are used. I mean, that's why God's coming back to destroy this whole antichrist world system of economics, politics, and religion. But, and then even worse, in, in much like the city of St. Louis is going to lose their bid to sue Kroenke for moving the St. Louis Rams somewhere else, when the people would complain and seek their legal rights, and maybe they won a court case at the lower level, of course the rich would just pay to get that case kicked up to a higher appellate court, to a higher appeals court, and a federal judge that leaned more their way politically uh, or just took a bribe would rule in favor of the rich, powerful, and successful in order to maintain their unjust economic system. And then that's why God sent Amos, who was just a guy minding his own business down in Judah. He sent Amos to warn them that their time was coming, that they would get to build beautiful homes but not get to live in them, that they would plant pleasant vineyards but miss out on the wine. And at the time he said that, it sounded insane. Like, no way, everything's perfect. Well, a lot can happen in 20 years. (laughs) Who said a lot can happen in 20 years? Yeah, so much has happened in 20 years. Yeah, and these warnings that seemed laughable in Amos' day found their fulfillment about 20 or 30 years later in Israel's destructions by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And like the well-connected in Amos' day, we are not immune to using and abusing those around us in our search for the good life. And honestly, I don't think, I mean, people want to, was God personally destroying Israel? Well, I guess maybe in a sense. But really economically prosperous nations that are small are really attracted, uh, are really attractive to hungry, money-hungry empires. So you could say in a sense, not to go off the track, you could say in a sense that Israel's economic prosperity and accumulation of, and centralization of wealth actually brought about their own demise. But, I mean, like, if you're the richest house in the neighborhood and you don't have a fence, and there's a bad economy and all the, and, and the Walmart, you know, and the Walmart shelves are bare of food and everyone knows you got a basement stacked with provisions. I mean, I know what I'm going to do. It's like that guy on Facebook bragging about his hoard of toilet paper. It's like, or TikTok, I got all this toilet paper for the, for when everything goes bad. Well, do you have guns? No, it's got toilet paper. I'm like, okay, well, I know where I'm going with my guns (laughs) to get your toilet paper. Uh, I think we all would, if we really need it, when you got to go, you got to go. And, <laughs> no, but seriously, like the well, hey, it was a free market. He had his choice to buy guns. He spent his money on toilet paper. I bought guns. You know, but like the well-connected of Amos' day, we are not immune to using and abusing those around us to get their toilet paper in our search for the good life, or dare we say, even just to survive and, you know, use the restroom comfortably. 
When we seek after comfort, we use people as servants of our comfort. Who's ever used someone as a servant of our comfort? Oh, only two people. Okay, good. You guys are so righteous. I'm so so relieved. When we seek after wealth, we use people as a means of production. I remember I was in a locker room at ORU one day, and this man was complaining about how he went to Walmart, and uh, he ordered some cuts of meat, some, like, some rare cuts of meat from the Walmart across the street. We were actually in the locker room at ORU in the, in the, uh, in the uh, athletic center, like in, the, like in their YMCA. It's called the, what is it? Oh, the AC. It's called the AC. I remember now. And he was complaining about how they didn't cut the meats right. They didn't know what they were doing. And I was like, well, why do you expect them to get the meats right? Those guys are making minimum wage, and it's not a cut they do every day. The odds of them messing it up are very high. And he's like, well, I'm a stockholder and a shareholder, and they owe me to make it right. And I was like, whoa, okay. That's the example I think about. When we seek after wealth and our comfort, that's like seeking after wealth and comfort and convenience together. We use people as a means of production. When we seek after uh, pleasure and self-gratification, we use people as objects to satisfy our desire. Who's ever done that? Okay, let's, let's all go take time out to go on Facebook and like some edgy political condemnatory thing to feel good about ourselves. Just to ease the edge of that condemning law of God that you know, uh, point, always points it back to us. There's no one righteous, not one. That's what Jesus says. But comfort, wealth, pleasure, self-gratification, those are all fun, but they don't really let you destroy your enemies like power. Who's ever sought after power? It's all about power, getting it and keeping it. And uh, when we seek after power, we either use people as allies in our Game of Thrones, in our pursuit of power, or we use them as obstacles to be removed. Hey, who's ever gotten rid of someone from a job because they were in your way? Who's ever gotten rid of a colleague before? You should try it. It is so fun at first. It always comes back to get you eventually. But we do these things. When, when do we do these things? When we're in a position to do so. Okay? Money, power, and status, those all reveal who you really are. They don't make people into monsters. And it's so sad that we seek after all those broken wells I just mentioned. We seek after life in those places. Those are the things we seek, which is sad because like Jesus says, what do you seek? Jesus is seeking for so much more for us. He wants so much more in life for us. He did everything he could in creating and sustaining and redeeming this fallen world because he has, and redeeming you, because he has so much more that he wants you. He has so much more life that he, he is seeking for you. Did I just forget to read Amos? I'm sorry, I've had a cold, it's been a week. Okay, well now that I've been preaching about this passage that you don't know what I'm talking about, yeah, okay. Would you excuse me to read Amos? Okay. Okay. Amos chapter 6. The heading, ooh, the heading's actually good this time. Seek me that you may live. Okay, that's a good chapter heading in the NASB. They got that right, okay? Jesus is asking this man, whom do you seek? What do you seek? Who do you seek? The answer is you need to be seeking God, okay? So the book of Amos, chapter 5, verse, verse 6. Seek the Lord. Seek Hashem. That's the tetragrammaton. yod vav Seek the Lord. That's God's personal name. Seek the Lord that you may live. 
lest he break forth like a fire, O house of Jacob, O house of Joseph, that's Israel, and consume it, and consume with none to quench it for Bethel. For those who turn, for, for those who turn justice into poisonous, bitter wormwood and, cry, and cast righteousness down to earth. Okay, that's who God's going to burst against. Who's ever turned justice into wormwood? Not me. Who's ever cast righteousness down to the earth? Who's ever really done someone wrong? Yeah. Well, it's just that rat race. You got to win. Uh, he who made the Pleiades and, and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. It is he who flashes forth with destruction upon the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who, repro- they hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks with integrity. Who's confused what's going on there? A little bit? Okay, the gate, the city gate, like remember when Ruth and Boaz, remember when Boaz decided he needed to marry Ruth pronto? He had to go to the city gate. That's where the court is. That's where the courts were with the elders, you know, and uh, that's, where you, that's where people would plead their case. And so God is mad. He's, he's mad because he's talking about how the Israelites, they hate the people who are, you know, blowing the whistle. They, they hate the whistleblower in court. They hate the person who's speaking the truth and not letting them get away with stuff. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink from their wine. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Hey, who's knowing it's better to just keep your mouth shut these days about certain things than say something so you don't get fired? Yep, kind of one of those. It's an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And who is good? God. And thus may the Lord of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord of hosts may be gracious to the, remem- to the remnant of Jacob. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, there is wailing in all the plazas, and in the streets they say, alas, alas. They also call the farmer to mourning and professional mourners to lamentation. And in all their vineyards there is wailing, because I pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. No one wants to be caught misbehaving and beating their fellow slaves when, God, when daddy comes home. Nobody wants that. Alas, you are longing for the day of the Lord. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord. See, they, they think God's going to come back and punish their enemies and lift them up because they're the good believers of their day. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be to darkness and not light, as when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home and leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light to you, even gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, 
I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me up burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at your peace offerings of fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your worship songs. I will not listen to the sound of your harp. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Okay, that's the sermon text I was trying to preach on. And why does God feel that way? Why does God tell them, hey, you're looking for me to come back? Oh, guess what? When I, like, the day of the Lord is when Jesus Christ comes back to set things right. And all these good Christians in their day, all these healthy, wealthy, successful, hardworking, good citizen Christians are looking forward for the day when he comes back. And he's like, you're not going to like that day. Don't think you're going to like that day. Don't think I'm here to judge your enemies. I'm here to judge you. And that scares me because I'm a healthy, wealthy, prosperous Christian. <laughs> I mean, I feel, but I feel, I feel like it's a setup, like it's a trap. But it is because this whole book is a trap. Because as Jesus says, there is no one righteous. Why do you call me righteous? There is one righteous, God alone. And he is the one who has life. Okay? And, but don't hear me out. And this isn't to take the edge off what I just said because all that is true. But Amos isn't simply communicating this judgment through the prophet. God is not doing that just to make you die in despair in your sins. What is his whole point to this is seek me and live. Repent, turn from your wicked, death-giving ways. Seek me, the Lord. Seek the Lord and live. Seek good, not evil. Why does it say in verse 6? That you may live. And same thing in verse 14. So you will really have me like you say you do. Because by nature, it's so easy in this life to seek a thousand good things. We want all the right things, and they are destroying us. Or the search for them is destroying this. But, he's, I, but what did God say? It's just Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30, verse 20 is, Love the Lord your God, for he is your life and your length of days. And in John chapter 17, verse 3, what does Jesus say? And this is eternal life. That they know, he's talking, he's praying to God. He's saying, and he's talking about his disciples, but in the audience of his disciples, that they hear and understand. And this is eternal life, that they know you, O Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom, whom, whom you have sent. What does Jesus say to us? I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. This is beautiful good news. When we did not seek God, he sought us. The one through whom all things are made and have life came to earth, seeking out his twisted, tweaking, and death-bound creatures, his self-destructive human beings with no love in their heart. And with acts of love and mercy, Jesus bore witness of the life that he came to give us. Even so, his people rejected the author of life and at times walked away like the rich young ruler in Mark 10 and ultimately gave him over to death on a cross because they couldn't take what he had to say anymore because it hurt too much. Jesus let the ravenous wolf inside the trap, the law of God, just be a ravenous wolf and there's no taming. You can't even hold it by the ears very long. You try to get it on someone else. It always comes back to you. But thanks be to God 
Christ, the source of all life, that Jesus Christ, the source of all life, even though he was destroyed by the powers of death, you can only kill Jesus once. You can't kill the truth of his teaching. And he was resurrected by it. And he comes to us today in his word, in his call to us to repent and follow after him with the promise that we will find life only in him. Having sought and found life in our God, once that happens, you start to see the world differently. You see people rightly. They're no longer objects. They're no longer means of production or objects to satisfy desire or servants of our comfort or allies in our strategies or obstacles to be eliminated. Instead, they are objects of his love and our love. They are people to be loved. Justice for and care for our neighbor flow from a life that has been justified for Jesus' sake. And because we have a source of life in Jesus that does not fail, we then seek to bless those around us with our time, energy, resources, and even money instead of using them for our own ends. Instead of getting on Facebook and hitting like to that edgy pro-choice post that our Christian friend posted, we wonder, oh, you know, if I'm not willing to, you know, go next door and babysit that stripper's kid every night so she works, maybe even make a meal and do her laundry for her, maybe read the kid a Bible story, if I'm not willing to do that, maybe I shouldn't hit this pro-choice like. Or, you know, if I'm not willing to take all the money that we're going to stop sending to Planned Parenthood and invest that in women's homes, maybe I shouldn't hit that, pro that pro-life like. I meant to say, not pro-choice, pro-life. Or if I'm not willing to take a uh, vulnerable young woman who is considering abortion into my house with my own money and my own time, and then maybe even adopt that child and raise it at my personal time, money, and expense afterwards, maybe I don't, under God's heaven, have the right to hit that pro-life like. Okay? Because... This man on this cross, he personally inconvenienced himself with his time, energy, money, and even life to clean up other people's sinful, stupid decisions and bad mistakes. Even mine. And if we were to read the end, in conclusion, if we were to read the end of Amos' prophecy, we would find that the prophet had words of hope for his wayward countrymen. God would seek his people. God would find his people. God would save his people. And in the end, God would bring them home to a land where they would build homes and dwell in them, where they would plant vineyards and enjoy the wine, where they would dwell in his presence forever, rightly related to him and one another. It's a picture of the new creation that Jesus had won for us, won for us. And the early church nailed that. Because we don't really know what we're seeking, just like all those people don't know what they're seeking. Just like the scared woman finding herself in that chair to get an abortion doesn't know what she's seeking. But God has sought us and found us in Jesus 
so that we might seek and know him. And in a world of people who don't exactly know what they're looking for, we relish the opportunity to seek the God who sought us and then seek the good of others, that they too might know the love of our seeking and rescuing God through us. This is where true life is found. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. If you have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you have never known God and submitted to God and accepted God as the Lord and King of your life, if you have not received the kingdom of God into your life and, made, and, let, and consented to Jesus being your King, the altar is open. You are ready and welcome to come down here and receive prayer and give your heart and life to Jesus. Or just, you're not giving it to him. He's already claimed it and he deserves it. You're just acknowledging what he's done. If the, what I'm saying is if, the Holy, if you're experiencing the Holy Spirit call you by the gospel, we will be here, the elders and I, to pray and receive you and welcome you into the kingdom of God. If you need to come down here and repent or pray for repentance and sustenance and redemption, we will receive you and pray with you for the kingdom of God. Amen.